Well, welcome along uh, to Beyond uh, Church tonight. Uh, if you snuck in late uh, or if you missed it, my name uh, is Chris and uh, we're wrapping up, if you're just joining us tonight for the first time, we're wrapping up a four-part series that we've been doing here called Normal Isn't Working. Uh, the way we like to do things at Beyond is we'll take a, a theme or an idea and we'll camp out on it uh, for a number of weeks. And so throughout this series, we looked at, uh, at a number of things uh, within our life, different areas. Uh, we looked at time. And one of the things we said that is, is your time is limited. And that means you need to limit what you do with your time. Uh, last week, if you are here, we looked at finances. And before you like cringe at hearing finances in church, we said we don't want any of your money, but we want to help you with yours. And we said that uh, in order to uh, raise your quality of life with your finances, you may um, need to lower your standard of living. And uh, if any of those things kind of jump out at you, or maybe if you were here one week and you wish someone else had been here to hear how to uh, spend their time or look after their finances, uh, you can jump online uh, to facebook.com uh, forward slash beyondchurchau, and you can find uh, all of our, the link to our SoundCloud, or you can just go straight to our SoundCloud as well. And up there you'll find uh, part one, two, and three, and then later this week, tonight's message, uh, as well as every other message series that we've ever done. So if you miss something or you want to catch up or you think this would be useful for someone else, uh, we'd really encourage you to jump on board and and have a look. But with this new normal uh, that we've been trying to create, we're saying in areas of our lives, that normal that we consider normal isn't working. And so what we want to work towards is a new normal. And so the normal, the new normal that we're working towards, we've defined it as this, a cadence of life uh, that can be sustained in order to operate at optimal efficiency. A cadence, so a speed of life that can, uh, we can use uh, and can be sustained. Now, when we say sustained, I don't mean sustained for your nine to five and then you collapse or a week and then you collapse over the weekend or 48 weeks of the year and then you get your four weeks leave. I don't mean that. I mean a, a speed of life that can be sustained over the course of your life. Now, not just sustained over the course of your life to get by, but a speed that you can sustain that will allow you to operate at optimal efficiency. Something that will allow you not only to keep that speed throughout life, but also operate at the, at the optimal level for you throughout the course uh, of your life. And as we wrap this series up tonight, as we bring it to a close, we want to talk about the one area of your life that has the potential to create the most tension. The one area of your life that all of a sudden you think things are going along really, really well and then all of a sudden this unwanted friction or tension arises and it can be really hard to know what to do with it because it is so emotionally charged and when you're in the midst of the situation, it's really, really difficult to see what's going on. And that area of our lives is relationships. We're all in relationships of some form or another. I'm not just talking, you know, romantic relationships or marriage relationships. I'm talking all kinds of relationships, friendships, uh, if you're, if you're uh, with your parents, uh, relationships, brothers and sisters relationships, uh, relationships you, with you and with your employer. All of us at some level here are in some kind of relationship throughout our life. Um, <clears throat> I, am, uh, I got married, uh, just kind of newly wed in terms of like the grand scheme of all people who have been married. Uh, married for about 18 months. And uh, one of the things that, uh, if, you, if you're married, you know this, and if you haven't been married, uh, you'll find this out, is that throughout the course of your life, you develop habits when you're single. And these habits are not necessarily bad things or good things, they're just things that you do. And when you uh, get married uh, and then you move in together, because my wife and I are old school, and so we moved in after we got married. Uh, and so we uh, got married and then we, we moved in together. And uh, there are things that, when, you, when you're dating, you can kind of hide them. Or they don't really observe them because you're only with each other for a certain period of time. 
And then they kind of go home or you meet up with them at a different time. And there's, there's stuff that you do that you don't even know that you do. And all of a sudden you get married and you're living in the same house and they observe everything. And one of the things that I incorporated into, uh, into my life before I got married, it wasn't really a bad thing, it was just a, a thing I did, um, is I used to take work meetings on Saturdays. Because a lot of the people I was trying to catch up with were busy during the week and I didn't have time. And I thought, oh, well, let's do it on a Saturday when everyone's off. And so, you know, I'd usually keep the first half of my day for, for catch-ups on a Saturday. And then I'd go and hang out with Emma in the afternoon and we'd get lunch or do whatever. And then we got married... And Saturday was the day that Emma had in her mind was when we were going to hang out. And in my mind, I had that was when I was going to do work stuff in the afternoon and then come home and hang out in the afternoon. And after a while, it got to a point where there was some friction, there was some tension. And so we had a discussion and, and I said, okay, well, well let's, let's ask this question. The question was, what's ideal? Now, what's ideal? If, if, I, if we could change something about the situation, about the way that it's structured right now, what would we change and how would we go about it? And, uh, and Emma was like, well, it's pretty simple. Just don't work on Saturdays. That's supposed to be one of your days off. Just don't work on it. I was like, and in my mind, you know, uh, maybe some of you are, uh, you know, you, you have that same tension that if you leave work, what if someone sees me? And what if someone doesn't think I'm working as hard? Or, or what if someone asks for an appointment with me and I can't go? What if I have to say no? And some of you feel that tension in your work at the moment. You know, you, if someone asks you to do something, you've got to say Yes. And so, when, so then I, we just decided that Saturdays was a no-go zone. You know, Saturdays was a no-go zone unless it was like a, a meeting that could not happen, you know, a board meeting or, or, a, or a conference uh, that I was speaking at that could not happen on any other day but a Saturday. And so we set up this, uh, this new normal. And chances are that, that I'm not and we're not the first people to have some friction or some issues with our relationships where we've incorporated habits, not because they're good or not because they're bad or not because we're trying to undermine the other person, but just because of the way we're wired that have somehow leaked into or other people have begin to, uh, begun to observe them and they've caused some tension at some point or another in our life. And what if I was to tell you that tonight what we're going to do is we're going to give you a new perspective. What I want to do tonight is I don't want to tell you to do anything. All I want to do is give you a perspective that you may not have had before when it comes to relationships. Give you a perspective that can help you minimize, not eradicate, but minimize the tension that you're going to experience in your relationships right now and into the future. And with this perspective, we're going to ask you or get you to ask one question, and it's a question that's going to provide a framework or a grid that will help you filter the decisions uh, that you make with a uh, uh, in terms of your attitudes and your behaviours, where you spend your time in regards to relationships. And this is going to help, this question is going to help you filter through and hopefully reduce the amount of tension that you will experience in your relationships. Because there all comes a point in our lives where we experience tension. Whether our mum and dad just won't leave us alone, you know, you've come home from working on a Thursday night and your mum and dad just want to talk to you, like, oh, can we just get past this? You know, I'm tired, I've had a long day. Now, whether it's, it's to do with your marriage and, you know, uh, something's, something's going on, there's an issue that always brings tension to the surface. Or maybe you've just got a group of friends and then you've brought a new friend into that group and other people kind of get jealous with the way that you act like you've known this person for so long and you're kind of bringing them into the group and there's some tension in, the, in, in, the, in your circle of friends because who's this person? Why are they always hanging around with us and why are they doing the stuff that we always do? So we're going to get this perspective tonight and we get this fresh perspective uh, in the book of Acts. 
Uh, and the guy who wrote the book of Acts, his name was Luke. Luke was a, a doctor. Uh, he was also widely considered a historian. And he writes uh, a couple of documents that we have in the New Testament um, Bible. Uh, he actually wrote really one big, long document. And then for, for ease of reading, we cut it, uh, as the church, we cut it into two. So Luke has one document called Luke. Uh, and it's one of the four Gospels we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke's uh, historical perspective in, this, in that document centers around the life and the times of Jesus, uh, centers around the teachings of Jesus, centers around uh, the miracles of Jesus. And then the second document that we have of Luke's, the one we're going to jump into tonight, is called Acts. And Acts centers around um, the historical growth of the church. In other words, there was a time when the church didn't exist and Luke, uh, the, uh, the book of Acts within that, Luke talks about when the, first church, uh, the church first began and how the church began to grow and spread uh, throughout regions uh, around the Mediterranean Rim. And so we pick it up tonight and we're going to get to a point that I, you, know, you might not consider it, but I actually consider it one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament. And it's controversial uh, probably more for church people than it is for non-church people. But it is super controversial, uh, or, or I think it is anyway. And so we're going to lead in up to this tension point, And then we're going to understand, and then there's going to be the tension where uh, this uh, discussion takes place. And in it, I think one of the most controversial parts in the New Testament. And then we're going to examine why, uh, why this controversial issue happened and why the response took place. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It'll come up on the screen, but if you've got your smartphones um, or you just want to download the Version Bible app, you can pull it up straight away so you can read along. It says this, As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. So the church went from a couple of hundred to overnight thousands of people. And we're talking sort of three to 4,000 people just overnight, bang. At the point that Luke's writing this, there's probably, uh, it's been a couple of years, there's probably conservatively, we estimate, twenty to 25,000 people in the church. Twenty to 25,000 people that grew from a couple of hundred people. So it's growing rapidly, and as you can imagine, when something just blows out of all proportion, it just starts expanding, there's going to be rumblings of discontent. And the discontent we find is between the Greek-speaking believers... And they complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. Now, let me clarify this. So everyone was a follower of Jesus, but a lot of people came in with their own diverse backgrounds because being a follower of Jesus was new into this culture. It had never been experienced before. And so you've got the Hebrew-speaking believers who were Jewish. And, and Jesus was a Jew and his disciples were Jewish. Uh, and so you've got these Jewish people, and their way of following God was, was really law-structured. It was rules-structured. And so they came in with this idea of, this is how you follow God, and when you follow someone, this is what you do. There's got to be a set plan, there's got to be a whole heap of rules laid out, and you've got to follow them. And then on the other side, you've got the Greek-speaking believers. The Greek speakers like worshipped a, a pantheon of gods. And their main uh, reason for worshipping was to appease the gods. So that the gods wouldn't smite them, so the gods would look favorably on them, so they would provide rain for their crops. So they came from two very, very contrasting backgrounds when it came to how they expressed uh, worship. And so they all came together following Jesus, and they all brought this baggage, and there was some discontent. And the Greeks started to complain about the Hebrews. And this is what they complained about. They complained saying their widows were being discriminated against. The widows, the ones on the outcasts of that society, 
were being discriminated against. It's a valid complaint. This is not, you know, these, these law-based guys, they're discriminating against our widows. And not only that, they were discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So this is within the church. So in the first church, within the followers of Jesus, there was one group uh, who had one way they thought of doing things and another group who had one way they thought of doing things and they were both wrong. Um, join us next week for brand new, that series, we're going to talk about that. And they were both wrong, but they came together and they, they had some tension. And it boiled up to a point that out of a church of twenty to 25,000 people, it got back to the 12 disciples. And the 12 disciples, these were the guys who spent the most amount of time with Jesus uh, they'd, they'd walked with him for about three years, uh, we think, and they'd travelled all around um, you know, Jerusalem and, and the surrounding regions. They'd s- heard Jesus' teachings. They'd seen some of his miracles. And so in this context, it gets up to them, and so they do what you do in a church all across the world when there's an issue, they call a meeting. Uh, it says, so the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. And they said, and this is where it gets controversial, They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So the Greek-speaking believers, they've come to the apostles, they've come to the disciples, they said, we've got this tension, we've got this issue, we need you to sort it out. And the response of the guys who have spent the most amount of time on earth with Jesus is, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do anything about it. That's not our job. And it goes on because they give a solution. They say, so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom and we'll give them responsibility. Pick someone else who this is, this is their calling, this is their heart and then give it to them. It says, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Do that so that we can spend our time in teaching uh, and Uh, In prayer and teaching the word. In other words, teaching the uh, followers about what Jesus uh, taught them. Now, this might seem a little harsh. You've got the guys who hung around with Jesus and Jesus said, there's one thing that's going to define you as followers of Jesus, that's love other people. And then the followers, you know, these guys who spent more time with Jesus said, love other people. They come to them, there's widows, they're being discriminated against. What are you going to do? That's not our problem. Find someone else to take care of it. And it seems harsh. But see, the apostles had a unique perspective when it came to relationships because they knew what was unique about them. And they knew the unique role they played within that community. See, within that community, that 20 to 25,000 people, they were the only 12 people who had spent an, uh, an extended amount of time with Jesus. The only people who had seen Jesus and had dialogues with Jesus, sat around the campfire and chatted with Jesus about what he meant and and how they could better understand it. And they knew that if they started running a food program, they would get so pulled down that track that they would no longer be able to fulfill their unique role within that community. They had a perspective because they knew what their unique role was in that community and they would not compromise on it. So my question to you is, what's unique to you? What's unique uh, to you? And before you start thinking through your head, you know, your job, your career, your finances, your job is not what makes you unique. 
Someone else, if you left or you resigned or you moved on, someone else could come in and do your job. Or if you own a small business and your business shut down, someone would open a business similar to yours around the corner. That's not what makes you unique. Someone could come up here and and take the microphone off me and give the same kind of messages that I give. My job, my microphone is not what makes me unique. Your job is not what makes you unique. Your education is not what makes you unique. A lot of other people have the same amount of education as you doesn't make them unique. The amount of money you have in your bank account is not what makes you unique. In fact, in your life, if you really think about it, there are probably only going to be two or three unique roles that you ever play. Two or three roles that are individual to just you and only you and no one else in the history of the world will ever play those roles. I'll give you an example. Uh, One of my unique roles is that I'm the first husband to Emma. No one else in the history of the world will have a claim to be the first husband of my wife. No one else ever will. That is one of my unique roles. So the question is, what is your unique role? And we have this thing at Beyond, because we we believe that church should be helpful, uh, whether you're a believer or not a believer. So we have this thing called Four Monday. So our Four Monday this week, this is the question that I want to give to you to help you filter through your decisions with relationships that will help you understand what's unique to you and help you minimize the tension in your relationships. And if you refuse to ask it or you don't ask it, at least, you know, when tensions boil and things spill over, you'll be able to go back and ask this question and see uh, what you could have done or should have done beforehand. So the question is, in your relationships at the moment, what have you traded that's unique to you? What have you traded that's unique to you? And in the future, if you're in a relationship, the, the way to phrase this question is, by doing this, will I trade what's unique to me? For me, that looks like, if you're having trouble, for me, this looks like it, when it's applied, hey, Chris, can we catch up on Saturday for coffee? Will I be trading what's unique to me? No, that's my day with Emma. Sorry, we can't do that. How about another day during the week? What's unique to you? And right now, what are you trading for what's unique to you? And if you're pushing back, if you're like, oh, I don't know if I am trading anything. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe here's, here's a, just a couple of three things that you can begin to see. Maybe if there's been a point of your life or maybe you're in it right now where, you, where you're, you're functioning at that idea of such a suboptimal level that you can't uh, see what a new normal would look like. Here's three things that you can begin to know that you've traded what's unique to you for something else. Um, if you've traded what's unique to you, you constantly repeat promises to do better. You constantly, I'm sorry I missed it. I'm sorry I missed, you know, I know I should have been there. I promise next week it'll be better. I promise next time that I won't be late. I promise next time that, that I won't get called into work, that I won't say yes to me. I promise it'll be better. Maybe for you, um, one of the symptoms is that you are chronically absent from important events. Birthday parties, you're not there recitals, you're not there, you're late sometimes if you ever show up, uh, you're not at sporting events, you, you miss date night, you're constantly rescheduling, everything's coming up and, and you meet, you miss, uh, you're chronically uh, absent from important events. The last one, uh, you point to the past, uh, you point to the future in order to make up for the past. Trust me, in the future, it'll be okay. I know we're not spending a lot of time together now. I know there's some things that are causing us tension now, but trust me, just wait until the future. 
Just wait until, wait until another year, another two years, another three years. Just wait until we're set up and it will be okay. You point to the past, uh, you, sorry, you point to the future in order to excuse or make up for the past. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know that when you get to the future, the future never comes. And so you are constantly pointing to the future in an attempt to make up for the past. So what are you trading that's unique to you? In your family relationships, you know, in your relationships with other believers, in your relationships with people who aren't, don't go to church, in your relationships in your workplace, what are you trading? And how would, how would your life look differently if just for one month, just imagine this for a second, this is weird, um, a little bit weird, you don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to, but just imagine for a second that for one month, you didn't trade on what was unique to you. For, for one month, you asked the question, you know, uh, is this going to benefit what's unique to me or, or, or by doing this, this thing, uh, will, will I be trading on what's unique to me? Just for a month. Just imagine what your relationships, your unique relationships would look like if for one month you didn't trade what was unique to you. How would your, how would your uh, family look different? How would your church look different? How would your world look different? This is just for the Christians, this next 30 seconds. Um, uh, if, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's cool, you can, you can listen in. But this one is specifically for the Christians. Um, how would your world look different if you created space for your unique relationship with your saviour? How would your world look different if you created space just for a month with, uh, for your unique relationship with your saviour. Beyond exists and will always exist as a church for unchurched people. That's what, we're all, that's what we will always be about. In fact, one of the things that we say at Beyond, one of the core values we have that we, we value more than anything else is, is we say that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. And when we as followers of Jesus don't create space in our lives for our unique relationship with Jesus, that sounds really good. That sounds really good to us and it makes us feel happy. But what it looks like, when we say, when we don't create space, we say things like, we will do anything short of sin. But what we actually end up doing and what it looks like in application is, we, we will uh, be known as, uh, sorry, we will do what's comfortable, what's convenient and what's easy to reach people who don't know Jesus. When we don't make space in our lives for our unique relationship with Jesus, we will do anything short of sin to reach people, turns into we will do what's comfortable, what's convenient, and what's easy to reach people who don't know Jesus. Because I don't have space in my life to, to do anything that inconveniences me. I don't have space in my life. I haven't carved that time out for that unique relationship with my Savior. But the good news is, is we don't have to be a community that is just, you know, that, that lets that be the norm. And we don't want to be a community that lets that be the norm. See, when you begin to understand what your unique relationships are, and when you're a follower of Jesus and you acknowledge that your unique relationship, uh, you need to create space for your unique relationship with your Savior, then you get to be a person who is known and who, when people look in, they say, you know what, I don't, I don't necessarily buy what that church is about, but I know they love Jesus so much. 
I know they are willing to do anything to reach people who don't know Jesus. They are willing to come out for coffee with someone. They are willing to, you know, if, they need a, if someone needs a ride because their car's broken down, these guys go above and beyond to show the community that they love other people. Could you imagine if the only thing or the only reason that people said, you know, I don't want to go to that beyond church was because that they believe Jesus is the son of God? Could you imagine a world where the only reason that people push back against the church and the only reason that people push back against Jesus was because we we love them so much, but they just couldn't buy that Jesus was the son of God. When we begin to make space in our lives for our unique relationship with Jesus and we do anything short of sin, the only reason people don't want to go to church or people don't want to have anything to do with Christians is not because we love them too much, not because we care for them too much, not because we're willing to do anything short of sin to reach them. It's because they're like, you know, I buy everything just except for the Jesus guy. That's the, only, that's the only reason. It's the only thing, the Jesus guy. And so as we wrap this up, the main point, if you took nothing away, if you fell asleep, if you, you know, were looking at, out, out the window, is this. When it comes to creating a new normal in your relationships, don't trade what's unique to you for something someone else will eventually do. Don't trade what's unique to you, those two or three relationships that are unique to you for something someone else will eventually do. And if you're a follower of Jesus, a relationship with Jesus has got to be up there with with those unique relationships. And in case you're still not 100% sure, in case you're not sure of of what life will look like if you, you refuse to, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, create space for those unique relationships if you trade on. I wanted to finish in the last minute with a, uh, an email that was leaked in 2008. And I understand this is an organisational email, I get that, but this is what happens when you begin to trade on what's unique to you. And this email is between uh, the chairman at the time of Starbucks, his name is Howard Schultz, and the CEO at the time of Starbucks, his name is Jim Donald. And Howard Schultz writes this email to Jim Donald as they're, starting the 2000, as they're starting their preparations for 2008. And he writes this in this email to him. He says, as you prepare for the 2008 strategic planning process, I want to share some of my thoughts with you. Over the past 10 years, in order to achieve the growth, development and scale necessary to go from less than 1,000 stores to 13,000 stores and beyond, we have had to make a series of decisions that in retrospect have led to the watering down of the Starbucks experience and what some might call the commoditization of our brand. In other words, what he's starting to say here, he said, over time, we have begun to trade what's unique to us. What people knew us for, we have traded on that. And as a result, this is what I want you to consider because we've traded big time. And he says, many of these decisions were probably right at the time And on their own merit would not have created the dilution of the experience. But in this case, the sum is much greater and unfortunately much more damaging than the individual pieces. What he's saying here is over time, we traded on what was unique to us. And when we traded, it wasn't a big deal at the time. But over time, we kept trading, we kept trading, we kept trading, we kept trading until we got to a point where we didn't know what made us unique anymore. And we didn't know what set us apart from anyone else. And we had traded so, far, so much and so far that we weren't sure how to get back to what was unique to us. 
And although this is an organisational example, that's what can happen with us. And that's what can happen with you if you don't begin to understand and think about what's unique to you. What two or three roles do you have that's unique to you? Because I know you don't want to get five or ten years down the track and have traded on so much that you don't actually know what's unique to you anymore. But tonight you can begin to start to take the steps so that you don't ever trade what's unique to you. So first of all, determine what's unique to you. Figure out what you're trading for what's unique to you. And secondly, stop trading it. Figure out a way to stop trading it. Ask the question, what's ideal? And begin to set a new normal. Don't trade what's unique to you for something someone else will eventually do. We're going to pray uh, right now. Jesus, there are so many things in our lives that can pull us in all sorts of different directions. But when we step back, when we gain a fresh perspective, when we realise in our life there are only two or three unique roles that we will play, it allows us to see with better clarity. It allows us to see what we have traded and it allows us to see uh, what we need to stop trading for what's unique to us. And Lord, I just want to pray uh, tonight for anyone here who's maybe compromised, who's maybe traded what's unique to them. Lord, I pray that tonight they would, they would decide and they would begin to understand what is unique to them and that you would help them and guide them on this process to stop trading what's unique to them. And even though it may be hard, even though it may be difficult, Lord, they don't want to get five years down the track and have you know, traded so much and at the time it seemed okay, but then look back and not know what's unique to them anymore. So Father, help us as a community and help us as people not trade what's unique to us. Help us hold fast to Jesus. Help us to be a community that wants to reach the unchurch. Help us to be a community that will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know you. Help us to not trade what's unique to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.